and welcome to Diverse and Inclusive Leaders. This is the show where I speak with the most inspirational and thought-provoking leaders of today and unearth their unique stories of diversity and inclusion to help inspire, educate and motivate others to make the world a better place. Today, I am super excited to be joined by the very wonderful Julia Champion. Now, Julia, as a number of you may know already, is one of the most well-known agents in the industry for television presenters and television experts. She's had over two decades worth of experience in talent management, worked for some of the largest, most established agencies, uh, and more recently been working as artist manager for a number of different firms and presenters, as well as uh, working for some of the most well-known TV presenters in the UK history. She's also my new agent, which I'm super excited uh, to say and uh, really keen to be learning not only more about Julia's background and how she came to be where she is today, but also why she's so very passionate about gender equality and diversity, inclusion and belonging, uh, both on and off screen. Julia, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so for those that perhaps don't know you as well as I do, tell me a little bit about the story, um, your personal story. How, how did you end up running one of the most well-established talent agencies, champion talent? And, and what was it that really kind of drove, I suppose, some of those personal ambitions that you had? Uh, well, I um, come from a quite creative family. My parents are both artists. That's one of my dad's pictures behind me. And uh, I always fancied working in television, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I did a me communication and media degree. And uh, after that, I got a job uh, for BBC Radio Suffolk. So um, I'm, I'm from Suffolk. So I got a job working for Ipswich, my sort of hometown and absolutely loved it. The pay was terrible, but uh, it, I met some fantastic friends. And when you work in a, in a small BBC outlet like that, you do everything from making the tea to actually broadcasting yourself. I never wanted to be a presenter. I always wanted to be behind the scenes. So I worked my way up from researcher to producer to senior producer, and then uh, worked at various other BBC local stations and eventually got a job as a producer for talk radio when it launched in London uh, and I was only in my mid-twenties then and it was all very exciting you know I was getting chauffeur-driven cars to into the studio and a lot of responsibility and it was all very exciting launching something new with all these big name stars and then uh, one of one time I, uh, I had a researcher called Mike Sissons who was the son of the late Peter Sissons the newsreader and I went to a barbecue at um, Mike's house he was one of my researchers who, bless him, only got there through nepotism because he wasn't very good. But he was a very nice guy. And uh, uh, his dad, Peter Sissons, gave me a lift back to the train station when the barbecue was finished. And he was a bit of a flirt. And he was sort of chatting me up in the car and saying, you know, I was a lot slimmer and a lot more attractive in those days. And uh, he... Uh, he said, oh, what do you want to do with your life, Julia? What do you want to do with your life? And can I help? 
And I said, um, well, I've always fancied being a television agent, but I don't know how to get into it. He goes, leave it with me. I'll speak to my agents and see if they can offer you a job. So he did. And thanks to Peter Sissons, I got a job working at a company called Knight Aiton Management that's still going. Uh, but the, the two women that ran it were out of the office a lot of the time. And so I've, I ended up having quite a lot of responsibility for the clients when they were absent. And it went from there, really. Uh, I just sort of learnt on the job. I, I had to take a bit of a salary drop when I changed careers. But I was sort of poacher turned gamekeeper anyway. So I sort of knew the business. And and in my degree, I'd learned, learned to, uh, quite a lot about media law. So I knew how to find my way through a contract and so on and so forth. And being an agent, a lot of it is just who you know and as well as what you know. So knowing which production companies are looking for what sort of uh, presenter, et cetera, et cetera, which commissioners are heading up the different channels and choosing which pr projects they go for. Uh, then I was headhunted, which was very exciting, um, to work with um, a fantastic man called John Roseman. And I worked at a company called the Roseman Organisation, which back in the day were sort of one of the bigger players in the industry. And we looked after people like Jill Dando, who sadly got murdered. Um, we looked after Fern Britton, Monty Don, um, Kate Garraway, Penny Smith, quite a lot of big names. Uh, and I was working there and ended up working there for quite a long time. Then I had uh, my children, uh, worked at James Grant Management, which is a big, one of the biggest agencies. They look after Anton Deck and Paddy McGuinness and Tess Daly and Holly Willoughby. Well, they don't look after Holly anymore. Um, but back when I was working there, they looked after lots of big names. And then I left there and set up Champion Talent with my business partner, Jane Jackson, in 2010 and we've just gone from strength to strength wow what a roller coaster journey that yeah. is Talk it's about... funny you fall into things sometimes <laughs> it was just a, I, I i just fancied the idea of being an agent because i thought it was terribly glamorous and glitzy and parts of it are that is true although we haven't had much glitz and glamour in the last year I love it though. When I said, tell me about how you came to be in a nutshell, it is a really big nutshell and yes, a wonderful <laughs> one. No, and a wonderful one at that. And you know, what I really love as well is that you have this kind of this humility and modesty about the fact that ultimately you are the most well-known um, talent Asian in the UK and beyond. And, um, you know, some of the names you mentioned, everyone from kind of Jill Dando through to Fern Britton, you know they're much loved and cherished British household names and you know I think it's it's, it's fascinating hearing uh, the story of where you have come from to I guess where you are now as a successful business owner um, running what is actually a female-led organization yeah. um, and championing well not to sound too biased here, the best talent. <laughs> oh, it is naturally, yeah. <laughs> naturally, naturally. <laughs> and, and, and Julia, tell me a little bit about kind of, uh, you know, not only some of the people that, that you managed, you've got a, you know, fabulous kind of roster of, of diverse individuals that obviously you represent. How have you seen the last decade or so really change and move towards what is ultimately um, 
more diversity on screens, more diversity off screens, and really looking at how we champion the gender agenda, for want of a better expression. I think um, sort of old fashioned ideas where programmes like Good Morning Britain had to be fronted by a man and a woman and This Morning had to be fronted by a man and a woman. Quite often now they'll have two women uh, presenting uh, at, at the same time and it doesn't matter if they're both blonde or if they're both black or I, I, I saw a, an episode of Loose Women quite recently where the whole panel were, were black women and I thought goodness me, we've made some strides ahead. Also a lot of, um, some of the uh, television channels, the BBC and um, Channel 4 particularly have diversity, people who are heads of diversity at those channels. So they're actively encouraging more non-white faces on screen, which is a great thing. They're also trying to get more uh, people with disabilities, um, more mums, you know, it was a no-no 20 years ago to be pregnant on screen. And now you see programmes like A Place in the Sun with heavily pregnant presenters, and it's not a problem. They even, um, I've, I've looked after several of the Place in the Sun presenters and they, they're so accommodating uh, for mothers. They um, let the presenters take their children with them on shoot. They pay for the nanny's flight and accommodation. And they and so the presenters can go out there with their young children and it's not a problem. That would never have happened 20 years ago. There's a lot more empathy and sympathy towards um, working parents these days. That is so heartwarming to hear, you know, whilst at the same time, obviously being, you know, myself and yourself very passionate about moving the dial when it comes to diversity, inclusion, belonging, equity, does make you wonder on the one sense, how is it, how was it okay that things like this were were really a no-no two decades ago? I mean, Um, it wasn't that long ago that Janet Ellis um, was... I think she was pregnant on Blue Peter 25 years ago uh, with a long-term partner, but just because they weren't married, it was a big scandal that she was having this baby out of wedlock. And it, it it's almost laughable now when you look back on it. It's absolutely amazing. And I, I mean, what you're describing is almost, I mean, on the one hand, I think it is, you know, it's systemic. I think it is slightly um, bred into us on, on, on the one hand, because we have, we've watched and seen what is the normal in inverted commas on yeah. our screens and in our magazines, um, you know, wherever it may be read about individuals that would be the normal um, in inverted commas. And we now watch organizations like Unilever who've got a huge campaign on where they're eradicating the word normal from their brands yeah. and, it begs the question, what actually is the norm? Um, you know, when you uh, describe um, this being such a such a black and white no-no kind of 20 years ago, which you're right, in, um, you know, in reality, it's a very short period of time. Look how far we have come in that time to where yes. we are right now. And it is fabulous to see the organisations and and production houses as well, um, you know, watching what's happening with, with Netflix and the amount of funds and capital they're putting into uh, diversity media and casting talent that does not 
look or sound like the usual stereotype. Mm, yeah, definitely. And there's even more acceptance of people with different regional accents. It's gone that far. Although some regional accents seem to be more acceptable than others. You know, it's fine to be a Scot or from the Northeast and have a, you know, they have an accent from there. But, you know, Brummy and Cornish doesn't go down quite so well. It's funny how, how some, some accents are acceptable and some aren't. Absolutely agree. I remember speaking to uh, Clive Myrie uh, about, about this and he said to me when I came down from Manchester and he was really kind of the second most well-known black TV presenter mm -hmm. after Sir Trevor MacDonald, yeah. he said he actually changed his accent mm -hmm. um, to be more London, as yeah. it were, than to be to be so Manchester because that's what was acceptable yeah. back in the day. Yeah. Now it would be, you know, very much. I mean, I think people do seem to, without generalizing here too much, seem to love the proper British accent. Mm. Um, but at the same time, what is the proper British accent? You know, yeah. is it not proper uh, to be from Manchester, um, you know, or from the north where, where I am from or from, um, you know, miles down south, you know, what is, what is the norm? Yeah, exactly. I think and Anton Deck led the way with Geordie accents and that's seen as the thing now. Um, also, I know when they were casting for Celebrity MasterChef, they wanted a few clients that had regional accents because they thought it appealed to the C2DE demographic. You know, they didn't want everyone to be, well, they say male, pale and stale. Mm. <laughs> they, wanted, they wanted diversity in every way. And, and that included, you know, people from different classes. People like the Hairy Bikers have done really, really well because they've played on the fact that they're Geordies through and through and they come from sort of working class roots, you know, and people like that nowadays. Mm. No, I, I absolutely concur. I think there is, I mean, I do, uh, you know, have a have a laugh and a joke with my husband, who I say is a middle-aged white male, but ultimately <laughs> he is more diverse in many senses than me, given the fact that he speaks fluent Mandarin as an American Greek. Wow. It's, uh, you know, it, it does, you know, it does still baffle me. And I tell you what, it really confuses them if we go into a Chinese restaurant or a takeaway uh, when they're speaking to me in in Chinese, or well, I'm actually not sure what they're speaking. Could be Cantonese, could be Mandarin, um, and he'll reply <laughs> back in in and, no, and he'll respond in fluent Mandarin. They kind of look backwards and forwards from as wondering why I am not responding. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> well, we're in a Chinese. We're in actually in a Chinese. Um, um, Chinese supermarket local to us uh, the other day and the uh, the lady who was at the till said your wife does not speak very good Mandarin uh, <laughs> apparently this is what he told me afterwards and I suddenly felt oh my goodness I feel like a phony because I can't because <laughs> I can't speak fluently even though I look the part yeah. but yeah I mean coming back on your point uh, when it comes to the Geordie accent I think I mean the hairy bikers they're just blooming fantastic aren't they but it is it's that real kind of um salt of the earth um you know working class roots which I think people really buy into it's the fact yeah. that actually um when it comes to diversity what do we actually mean it means difference but that could be difference as you say in terms yeah. of it could be difference in terms of colour of our skin, 
Um, and where we are from culturally. Um, but it could also be social mobility, could be, um, you know, the certain demographics from where we are from. But ultimately, you know, it's making sure the media and our representation of uh, presenters and whom and what we see on our screens, which is what you do so well, is actually truly represented in the backgrounds um, and therefore the communities that we serve who will be watching on screen, off screen, listening to those different dialects, voices, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yeah, definitely. And so I've got to ask Julia, why did you never want to go on the front side of the camera? Oh, um, I'd be absolutely terrible. I'd be like a rabbit caught in the headlights. I'd be terrible. When I worked in local radio, as I said, they, um, they get you to do everything. And so I occasionally did traffic and travel reports or I occasionally did like a co-presenter role. But it was it, it makes me wince when I listen back to the recordings because I thought you had to be terribly, terribly BBC. So I had this sort of Suffolk stroke Essex accent and I was trying to speak properly and I just sound like this when I listen back to the tape. And I, it, it's just ghastly. I just couldn't be myself and I couldn't... Whereas in my job now, I don't even think about what I'm going to ask people. You know, if I was thrown into a, a live interview situation, if I didn't have a list of questions and prompt notes with me, I'd panic. Whereas, you know, the best presenters just do things off the top of their heads quite naturally. Sorry, my phone's pinging. Uh, turn it off <laughs> <laughs> no it's fine just shows how popular you are it's all, it's all good it's all good ping 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 but and, and you know I, I I love that story actually Julia because it is and I think it's honestly something that we all as human beings feel is that genuine sense of belonging do we feel we belong enough in order to be ourselves um you know where you are right now at the helm of the business that you run and in the position of influence that you are in there is no need to pretend to be something that you are not no. where, uh, back in the day it was oh, the, the very proper kind of behaving a certain way in order to uh, get yes. tour and what have you I find it admirable that it doesn't it doesn't matter who or what or where you are from. It is actually about being your true authentic self, ultimately. Yeah. yeah. The bad thing about being, I love, absolutely love my job and I feel it's a real vocation. I couldn't really do anything else now. Um, but the thing about being an agent is that when somebody's career is going well, they think it's, uh, the client think it's because of their talent. But when a client's career isn't doing so well, they blame the agent. So you're in a bit of a no-win situation, really. Well, I I empathise. I empathise with, with that from the you know former headhunting perspective. Yeah. It's like you're everyone's best mate when the uh, um, when when everything is going swimmingly and when the chips are down. It's kind of hey, don't shoot the messenger kind of situation. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, and I've got to, I mean, there's a million and one questions that I, I want to ask you, Julia, because I think, you know, look, you know, what you have done, the reputation and the the business you have built over the last couple of de decades really precedes you. Um, but I've got to get into our lightning round very shortly before I end up running out of time and not managing to squeeze in everything that I want to ask you. But before I do, I wonder, you know, what do you see in the future of TV and on screen, off screen, 
talent. You know, where do you see that that future headed uh, when it comes to really you know embracing what what you are very much about, and that is a an eclectic uh, mix of really talented individuals from all walks of life. Yeah, I think the future is looking bright for diversity and inclusion. I think uh, we'll see a lot more. Uh, black and brown faces on television. I think we'll see more people with disabilities. I, it, I, if I was approached by people with disabilities, they would go to the top of the pile, but, but I just never get approached by anyone with disabilities. And I would welcome approaches from, from that section of, of people. I, I, I think now that there's diversity champions at the different channels who are actively encouraging diversity on and off screen I think it's, it can only have a positive effect on who we see and I think the more the more people we see on telly that represent all people you know people look up to the people they see on tv and think I can do that and then they'll get more people from those groups of the population and everything will get better it's an it's a positive asset to not be white and to have a disability if you want to work in television at the moment they're they're really really driving it forward well that is great here and I think what you're saying is it's about ultimately leveling the playing field making sure um the communities in in which are consuming media content have got the representation whereas you say they they feel like well you know if I can see the individual that I'm looking up to or the individuals that I'm looking up to then I can truly be that and it's yeah that's what they say see it to be it don't they indeed and I'm you know I remember growing up in Yorkshire as I've told you uh, before and you know not seeing any um, East Asian faces mm. and I wonder whilst you know I'm terribly inspired by my uh, white British mother and father actually it is you know it's it's something that you cannot describe really not seeing yourself in some way shape or form represented because it almost tells you can people like me or can people like us get to those um, amazing places, um, whether it be in the boardroom, whether it be on the TV screen, whether it be even on the radio. Mm. So going into the the very short lightning round, Julian, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to answer each of the next questions. I know for you and I, that's really hard because actually we could go on chit-chatting for forever and a day. And because it's you, I'll maybe give you a little bit longer than 30 seconds for each of the questions. And I guess I'm going to ask probably the first, the, the most challenging question first, and that is, what would you say is your secret to success? if there is one? Uh, I think being able to spot what the next big thing is going to be. That's short enough. (laughs) Great answer. (laughs) Great answer. And who have been the biggest inspirations in your life? Or it could be an inspiration, could be personal. Well, John Roseman, my my former boss um, at the Roseman organisation where we looked after Jill Dando and so on. I've, he was a fantastic mentor to me. Uh, I, I, I just loved hearing him on the phone negotiating a deal. He just didn't take any crap. Uh, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? 
uh, it's a pretty bad word. He said to me, uh, and I think he's absolutely right. He said, you're the best agent I've ever known, but you need to learn one thing. And I said, what's that? And he said, you need to learn to be more of a C-U-N-T. <laughs> <gasps> oh my goodness. Yes, the, the answer is you can score on this podcast. We put a censored <laughs> mark on it beforehand. Um, but now I've got to ask, tell me, tell me, how did the negotiation call go? Because I know that you are a tough, in a great way, businesswoman, as well as having the emotional empathy and articulation that I think is really, really necessary when it comes to ultimately balancing both sides and making sure people are looked after. Yeah. Um, one of my clients said to me that I'm a friendly babe with a brick in her handbag. I thought that was a great <laughs> We don't want to go too near your handbags then. Watch <laughs> out if you meet Julia in the street. Yes. She's got a very heavy looking handbag. <laughs> the thing is, an agent will always know what the going rate is for something. Uh, I think, you know, a lot of presenters, particularly when they're starting out, just don't know how to price themselves and don't know how to protect themselves in terms of, you know, not just the pay, but the terms and conditions of a contract. And we're there to sort of um, tell them what to, uh, well, ask, ask for what they deserve, basically. Mm. Well, I feel very well protected working with you, Julia. Um, but I've got to ask, how was this call then with John Roman if he was absolutely... Because I'm can, I can, I'm imagining it as you're talking, I've got these kind of these pictures in my mind of like old school phones being slammed down and yeah, kind of being was, in a studio. This was back in the day when people used to... He used to smoke big cigars all the time. <laughs> because anyone could smoke in, in the office at the time. So we worked in this fug... And his, his favourite thing was, what part of the word no do you not understand, Blanc? <laughs> <laughs> with some great big cigar in it. I can just yeah. imagine it with like the... Yeah, he had a sports car. He was, <laughs> you know, he was a fantastic Jewish, oh, almost like a parody of himself. It was funny. Oh, absolutely love it. And... Finally, finally, still there's a million. We can get you back again though, Julia. We could do part two with Julia okay. Champion. But uh, the last question before we run out of time is, if you could go back in time and speak to the young Julia, who yeah. was about to head out into the wide open world and she was, um, you know, perhaps having the uh, having the barbecue again and kind of what do you want to do Julia conversations what would you what would you tell yourself if you were to be able to advise your younger self or indeed someone else who'd love to be where you are today oh, now um I would say you've got to be prepared to go back sometimes to go forward as I said I took a paid drop from being a senior producer on a national um station to to effectively be an agent's assistant and work my way up. But sometimes you've got to go back to go forward and don't be scared of, don't be scared of anything. No one is better than you. So, you know, know your worth basically. And, you know, I would, I have always been a really good people person. And I think that the primary asset attribute on a for an agent to be is warm and welcoming and not scary and be a good people person who can keep lots of balls in the air and if you've got that personality I think you've either got it or you haven't 
And uh, in a way, I wish somebody had pointed out to me before that that was my, you know, best quality. Because it took, it took changing careers for me to realise that this was the career for me. But I wish somebody had sort of tapped me on the shoulder and said, you know, you've gone as far as you're going to go as a producer, do something different. Really wise words of advice, Julia. Thank you so much for, for joining me. It's been... Thanks. <laughs> been right back at you it's been an absolute pleasure having you and um as i usually do at the end of our podcast i, I do a very brief summary but um there's really so much to summarize here i'm going to keep it very brief but the real kind of golden nuggets of wisdom uh, that shone out to me and i hope uh, to our audience as well who are who are tuning in today is um really to to have confidence uh, in yourself in your own self worth and in the fact that actually being different is often a huge asset as we've heard from julia the time is now when it comes to really embracing our eclectic and and diverse talents, whether it be um, that you come from a diverse ethnic background, whether it be that you have a disability, you know, look at the ability, not the disability, and really understand the benefits and um, and the worth that you can bring to the table. Don't be scared to take a career change or um, a, a curveball when it comes to doing what it is that you really, really do want to do. And ultimately, champion, excuse the pun there, champion um, yourself and your, your inner strength, um, in particular when it comes to gender equality, which given uh, the fact that it is all about uh, women's, women's empowerment this month, uh, where we've had International Women's Day, um, I think is incredibly important because when you lift up one part of the, the community, you lift up the others as well. Um, as always, if you've missed anything at all, don't worry. Uh, you can catch up on demand uh, online at www.dialglobal.org. You can also visit Julia at championtalent.co.uk. Um, you can reach out to her and you can rewind, listen uh, on repeat if you if you so wish or on demand as well at the end of today's show. Don't be a stranger. Uh, take care of yourself and we shall look forward to seeing you again very soon.